Thrive Church Online. My name is Raul and I will be your online host today. If this is your first time visiting us here at Thrive Church Online, then you are our VIP. As our VIP, we'd love to hear from you. Text NEW to 604-285-5770 and we will be sending you a Thrive Church water bottle just for visiting us today. Parents, don't forget, Thrive Kids has prepared today's kids lesson plan and activity so it's ready for download. Visit MyThrive.info slash online so you can download your copy today. Alright, do I have an active and an engaged audience? Let me see. Type in Raul needs a haircut in the chat box below. Alright, I was just checking. Alright, type in ready if you're ready. Here we go. See the laughing emojis, that was good. All right, great. Now, last thing I'll ask from you. Take your best selfie of you watching Thrive Church Online today and post it on your favorite social media platform using the hashtag Thrive Church Online so we can see how you're viewing us. All right, now that you guys are ready to go, grab your cup of coffee or your tea and let's get ready for today's message. Hello everybody and welcome to Thrive Church Online. It is so great to have you here. My name is JB, I'm one of the pastors here at Thrive and on behalf of all of us here at Thrive Church, we wanna welcome you to an awesome Sunday to worship God together. Wherever you are watching the service, we are so glad that you're here. If you're new to Thrive, a huge, massive welcome to you especially. You are what we call our VIP. And in fact, here at Thrive, we have a saying, which is that welcoming is not just what we do, it's who we are. And so with that in mind, would you just welcome one another in your chat rooms right now? Just say, hi, everybody. It's good to see you all. Welcome to church. If you're sitting beside someone you're watching the service with, would you give them a high five or an air high five, an air hug or a real hug, whatever you think is appropriate, and just say, it's so good to be in this service with you today. Let's welcome one another to church today. And hey, by the way, if you're new and you are a first time guest here, then guess what? We have a special gift that we wanna give to you just to say thank you for being here today with us at Thrive Church Online. And that is, we've got a special Thrive Church stainless steel water bottle for you. And what you can do is you can type new to this number, 604-285-5770. Or you can go to mythrive.info, you can click the I'm new button, and we'd love to connect with you that way. Great to have you here, every single person. Good to have you here, wherever you're watching the service. Welcome to Thrive Church together. Well, every Sunday is a special Sunday, but next week is extra special because it is Mother's Day next week. Have you given thought to Mother's Day yet? Know how to celebrate Mother's Day in this COVID-19 season? Well, here's one idea. In addition to giving your mom breakfast in bed, why don't you invite them to come to our Mother's Day service at Thrive Church Online next week. That's May the 10th, Sunday, 9.30, 11.30. We'd love to see you and your mom there for a time that's going to be sure to encourage and bless your mom. And so let's give our very best to God. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. And so let's make the most of that opportunity to do just that this coming Mother's Day. Let's have an amazing time celebrating our amazing moms. Another thing is also later on today in our service, we're going to do something called communion. Everyone say communion. 
communion is when we remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And so what I want to do is get you ready for that. I have here at uh, my desk here, I've got, uh, you know, some bread. If you have some bread at home, maybe you don't have bread, maybe you've got a cracker, maybe you don't have a cracker, you have a cookie. Whatever the case may be, something you can use to represent the body of Jesus, something edible that you can use to represent his body. I invite you to go and grab that from the kitchen or the cupboard right now. In addition, you might want to get something liquid. Maybe uh, we use grape juice here at Thrive Church, uh, but maybe you don't have grape juice at home. Maybe you got some orange juice. Maybe you got some milk. Maybe you got some coffee. Whatever the case may be, something you can use to represent the blood of Jesus. And we're going to have communion at the end of our service together to remember what Jesus Christ has done. And so get, you, get ready for that as well. Are you guys ready for the word of God here in this place today? We believe that God's word is powerful. It has the power to change our lives. And so if you could do this with you right now, this is a fun way to get our hearts ready for the message. If you could grab your Bibles right now, and mine is this, it's a paper Bible. Maybe yours is a phone or a device that you download the Bible into. Either way is cool. Why don't you grab your Bible right now? And even if no one's watching, why don't you hold up your Bible in the air like so right now? And we're going to make this proclamation together in faith. Just a fun way to get our hearts ready for the message. Let's say this together right now. We're going to say, this is my Bible. It is God's word. I am what it's says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I open up my heart so that God's word can come in and change my life, and I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You guys are a beautiful church inside and out. We love you guys, and we're so glad to be here with you today. Today, I've got a powerful message to share with you that I can't wait to share with you. Uh, but let me first introduce the fact that we've got a door on the stage today. And you might be wondering, what in the world is a door doing here? It reminds me of one of those portals in Minecraft or one of those video games you play where you step through the portal and you enter into this brand new world. Well, right now, today, I want to invite you to step into a brand new world with me. It's the world of ancient Egypt because here at Thrive we're doing a series it's called Exodus Hope for Hard Times. We're studying one of the most famous, most important, most powerful stories ever told. It's the story of the Exodus. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible, so it's really easy to find. Exodus chapter 11 is where we're going to be. We're looking at the Exodus story. What is the Exodus story? It's a story of a people called the Israelites. And at about 3,500 years ago, they were slaves in the nation of Egypt. The king of Pharaoh was scared that with so many Israelites that they could easily side with a foreign nation, and then that would be the end of of Egypt, and so he decided out of fear, I'm gonna make them all slaves. And for 400 years, the Israelites were slaves under King Pharaoh. One day, God sees that there's a man called Moses, and he calls Moses to say, Go back to your people in Egypt, the Israelites. I want to ask you, I want to call you to go to the Pharaoh and tell him to let my people, the Israelites, go and to get them free from slavery. And so Moses, with some hesitation, he finally goes, and with his brother Aaron, and he approaches Pharaoh and he says, let my people go, says the Lord. And Pharaoh, he resists. And so as a result, God brings a series of miraculous wonders and signs called the plagues to persuade and put pressure on Pharaoh to let his people go. And so last week we looked at the first nine of those plagues. Today we're looking at the final plague in this, plagues, uh, in this plague story. And so if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 11, let me give you the title of today's message. The message title for today is Too Much to Pass Over. Too much to pass over. See, we're looking at the Passover today. And so would you turn to your neighbors and say, don't pass over this. 
Don't pass over this. This is too much to pass over. The understanding of the Passover is what we're after today. And see, let me tell you why it's so important to understand this thing called the Passover. It's because when you understand what the Passover is and what it means and how it applies to our lives today, you will have this window of hope through which you can see life even in your most difficult season, even in your most distressing, depressing, difficult, dark season of your life. If you know this Exodus story and you know what the Passover means, it'll give you a way to hang on to hope even in your toughest time. And so if you're needing hope in hard times today, this message is for you. Let me begin with a story. Is that this past Monday, I decided to go for a run. It was a Monday and the weather forecast said that it was going to rain starting at 10 a.m., it was about 9 a.m. at the time, so I thought, okay, I've got about an hour to run, so I'm going to take advantage of that time right now. So I, I drove out to this area where there's some trails and some forest, and so I decided I'm going to start running, start running, having a good time running, and, you know, saying hi to people, you know, of course, social distancing still, but saying hi to people. And then about 9.15, all of a sudden, the rain starts to pour. And it's like, oh my goodness, it's just coming down. I'm drenched and I'm, I'm running in the rain. And I get to this part in my run where there's like this open trail. There's no, there's no trees above me. And so it's just completely open. And I don't know, I don't know if I smell like dog food. I don't know if I look like dog food to you today. But the fact is on that day, I had so many dogs chasing me on that run. And it was just crazy. I was running and they were going, and they start running after me. I'd be running faster. They'd be running faster. Some would be jumping toward my neck. I'm like, oh my goodness, would you please control your dogs? And, and you got to love, God bless the dog owners who were you know, taking care of these dogs. They were so firm in their reprimands of their dogs. They'd be, oh, Junior, that's so cute, but please take your teeth off of that man's neck. Oh, Junior, oh, that's really cute, but could, could, you, could you please stop dragging that boy into the ditch, please? And, and, and I'm exaggerating a little bit. The fact is, I'm like, man, man dogs, can you please social distance? The, the, the fact was, I don't know why they were so attracted to me, but this is on an open path with no trees in front of me, no trees above me. But then all of a sudden, I get to this point where after I'm drenched in rain and I'm smelling like dogs because for some reason they really like me, I decide I'm going to go down a trail where there's all trees. And the moment I go through that trail and I'm covered in trees, I can't feel the rain anymore. And praise God, not a single dog in sight. And you, now you know why I love stuffed animals. But why do I mention that story? It's because when I went through that experience, I couldn't help but think about what we're learning in Exodus. How in this story of Exodus, in particular what we learned last week about the plagues, how God is making this distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians, is that God is sending these plagues, these, cool, these, these amazing wonders that are supposed to put pressure on Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And you're gonna find that the Egyptians, they're like on the open trail where they're getting the whole full-blown you know, like effect of the plagues. You know, there's hail, there's boils, there's gnats, there's frogs, there's flies, there's all these things. But then when you look at Goshen, the area where the Israelites live in Egypt, there's not a fly to be seen. There's no, there's, no, there's no plagues affecting them. And it's this really strong, very obvious distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians. We're going to get into the 10th plague today. We're going to see that the distinction goes to another level as we look at this 10th and final plague. And so with that in mind, would you read with me Exodus chapter 11, starting with verse 1. And let's read in a big, loud voice together right now. What does it say? It says, Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Drop down to verse four. Keep reading. It says, so Moses said, 
This is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the slave girl, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark <laughs> at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. See, what is this 10th and final plague that God is bringing on the Egyptians? The 10th and final plague is the death of the firstborn. And you might be thinking to yourself, are you serious? God is going to put to death the firstborn of Egypt, and that is the 10th plague. And you might be like, oh my goodness, how could God be so cruel? How could God administer such a horrible atrocity? How could God kill innocent children this way? Let me give you a few considerations, because this is not an easy topic. Let me give you a few considerations as to what's going on when God brings about this 10th and final plague. The first consideration is this, is that the death of Egypt's firstborn that God was bringing about through this 10th plague was God's response to Pharaoh killing every Israelite baby boy. See, last week we looked at the first plague, which is God turning the water in the Nile River into blood. And I told you that God was sending a message to Pharaoh with that miracle, with that plague, which is he was basically saying to all the Egyptians and to Pharaoh, he's saying that, you know what, who controls the Nile? It's not that God happy that you bow down to and worship that you think is the God of the flooding of the Nile. It's not happy, it's me. It's the Lord who controls the Nile. God was exercising his supremacy over the gods. That was one message that God was sending by turning the Nile River into blood. But how many of us know that the Exodus story is a complex story? There's lots of layers to it. That's one of the things I love about it. There's a second message that God was sending by turning the water of the Nile into blood. And do you know what that is? God was sending a message to Pharaoh when he turned water into blood. And that is this. Do you remember that when Moses was born, there was a policy of infanticide in Egypt when it came to the Israelite people. They, in other words, e Egypt had a law that Pharaoh signed into effect, which said that whenever a baby boy among the Israelites is born, you're to take that baby boy, throw the baby boy into the Nile, and that, Nile, that, that baby's gonna drown in the Nile. And all of a sudden, the Nile became this horrific place where babies went to die. And you could just imagine, you know, you know, they say that there's this one Egyptologist called David Roll, and he studied ancient Egypt all his life, and he says that, in fact, in that time when many people believe the Exodus actually took place, is that when you study archaeological digs, that you actually find, they actually find, archaeologists have found that there have been actually this huge increase in infant graves. And there's all of a sudden all these small, tiny graves for babies and small children. And not just that, but they saw evidence in those same places of the male population among the Israelites decreasing and just lends credence to this idea that Pharaoh had this policy of infanticide, of killing all the boys. And you can just imagine how heartbreaking this is. You have, you have an Israelite couple and they've just got their baby boy. The, the Egyptian authorities find out about it. They send soldiers to grab the boy, snatch them from their arms. And while the parents are like, no, 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 and they, they hold, they're holding, they're, they're holding the, the, the parents back. They're, they're muscling. They're like, oh, 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 oh. And, and, and what, what, the, what the authorities do, what the soldiers do, they take the baby, they throw the baby in the Nile, and the, the parents watch as the baby drowns 
in the Nile. Finally, they let go of the parents. The parents run into the water. They, they, they run toward, they lunge toward the baby. They pick up the baby, this baby boy, and, and this baby's dead. And all they can do is hold him one last time and put him in an infant grave. How heartbreaking is that? I could even imagine that some baby boys, when they were born, maybe the, the mother died in childbirth or maybe the father wasn't around. And so when they were thrown in the Nile, they were just left in the Nile. Maybe floating on the pop top of the Nile, maybe you know, sinking to the bottom. But that was just the horrific, heartbreaking atrocity that was going on at that time. And see, when God turns the Nile River into blood, he's telling Pharaoh one more thing. He's not just saying, I'm supreme over all these other gods, including happy God of the Nile. He's telling, God, he's telling Pharaoh one more thing. He's saying, I remember all the blood that you spilt. I remember every single life that you took. I remember every single baby boy, someone's brother, someone's son, someone's father-to-be, whose life that you stole by throwing them in the Nile. And so I, their blood is actually crying out to me from the Nile. And that's why the Nile is turning from water into blood. And see, what's going on is God says he remembers. God is a God who remembers our deeds, good and bad. And see, when Pharaoh starts to look at the blood in the Nile, you know what his first instinct is? He's like, hey, magicians, they're the Egyptian magicians. I call them Egyptians. He's like, hey, Egyptians, come over here. Can you do the same thing? Can you guys turn water into blood? And it turns out that they can. And for Pharaoh, he's like, ah, <laughs> no big deal. But see, Pharaoh was all focused on, is this a miracle? But God's focus was not on that. In fact, Pharaoh missed the point. See, Pharaoh was all focused on, is this a miracle? Is this a work of God? But God's reminder to Pharaoh, what he was saying to Pharaoh was, I remember every life that you took in the Nile. And see, what's the lesson there? Sometimes we can get so caught up trying to rationalize every good thing, every miraculous thing that God does in our lives, thinking we're so smart, when in fact we've just completely missed the point of what God's saying to us. When in fact we've just completely missed the boat, and in fact we're not being really smart, we're actually being really dumb and foolish in doing so. That's for the first consideration that you want to keep in mind when you think about the death of the firstborn. There's a second consideration, which is that even before the first plague, God warned Pharaoh that he would lose his own firstborn son if he refused to let Israel, who's God's firstborn, go. You know, maybe you're wondering, well, why the focus on the firstborn? Hey, what about the middle children, eh? What about, you know, what about young, younger, like, you know, the babies in the family, like me? You know, what, what, like, what, what, what about them? And see, maybe we'll do a little survey right now, birth order survey. Is that okay? All right. And so you can either shout if you're here or you can do an emoji, or, you know, on the chat room, whatever it might be. And so I'm just going to ask for some response. So don't be afraid to respond. Firstborns in this place. Can I hear you? If you're the oldest in the family, let me hear you. Let me see you. Respond. Emoji. Come on. Let me hear you. Firstborns in this place. Yeah. Okay. I hear some of you. I see some of you. Okay. Great. Awesome. Do, no, notice. Can you hear the response? The, the, the responsibility in their voice right now? Yeah, can you, can, you, can, you, can, you, can you hear that anal nervousness? Like, you know, that you know, anal achieving part of them, you know, like, oh, I want to show who I am. You know, you know that, that's what firstborn's all about, well, generalization, of course. How about, how about the younger child? Younger child, if you're the baby in the family, can, you, can I hear you right now? Baby in the family, can I hear you? They're always the loudest, aren't they? They're always the loudest. And, and they're the charming entertainers among us. Uh, you know, God bless our babies in the family. Uh, how about the middle children? If you're a middle child, let's hear from you. Yeah, very quiet, right? 
very, very quiet, usually more quiet. You, I, I, this is a generalization, of course, but they say that with middle children, they tend to have kind of two sides. On, on one, in one hand, they're kind of like the rebel in the family. They kind of don't want to do everything that everyone's, everyone else is doing. At the same time, when tensions rise, they're kind of like the peacemaker. They're like the peacemaking rebel. It's this weird dichotomy kind of thing. But here, you got to understand this. Regardless of what place, what order in your family you were born, in Israelite culture, you got to understand that being the firstborn carried special significance. Is that if you were the firstborn in the family, a few things came with that status. One is that you were seen as the next head of the family. And so there were certain responsibilities, there were certain decision-making authority that you had that no one else in the family had. Another thing is that if you're the firstborn, you actually had the right to a double inheritance. You get a double portion. And so if it's you and your brother, guess what? As a firstborn, you get two-thirds, your brother gets one-third. Isn't that a good deal? That's a pretty good deal. But that, that's the thing, is that if you're the firstborn, you have this special status back in Israelite culture. And this is the thing. You know, when, when, when God saw the people of Israel... He saw Israel, the people, as his firstborn. You know, I've got two sons, and I love them both. And, and, and you know, I, I don't know if you find this, is that you know, sometimes with new seasons, that when it comes to your closest relationships, sometimes you have to fight that much harder in the new season for that relationship. You know what I'm talking about? Is that because things get busier or things get changed, you have to fight that much more to, to, to not against them, but fight for them and fight for the relationship. Make time in new ways or, or try to love them in new ways because it's a new season. Circumstances are different. I find that right now is that with COVID-19, we had to change a lot of the ways that we do church. Church online. This is our eighth week doing online services. And because of our online format, we had to actually change our schedule. I had to change my schedule. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the day when I would often spend time with Bradley, which is what we call dad, daddy day for my firstborn, his, you know, we, we have this daddy day time where we just hang out. For the past eight weeks, we haven't really been able to have daddy day. And, you know, we, we tried to put it another day, but it didn't really work. And, and, you know, this past week, I was really missing my firstborn son. I was just like, you know, I miss spending time with him. And, I, and, I don't, and he's, he's just super cool and flexible and stuff, so I don't really know if he misses, but I really miss him. And so this past week, you know, I decided, okay, I looked at my schedule, and I was like, you know, somehow we're going to make this happen. And so, you know, it was a really impromptu thing, but I was like, hey, like, hey, like, hey buddy, are you, are you free right now? He's like, yeah, I'm free. And so we decided we'd go together, and we decided we'd go for a bike ride. It was just this, this really awesome, it was the first time we'd spent, you know, one-on-one -on -one quality time together, and just, I'm, I'm riding in front of him, and I can hear him laughing, I can hear him, like, his, his, the funny things he's saying, and I thought, myself, man, life is good. Because for, as a father, there's nothing like being with your son. And even if you have to fight for that time, it's worth it. And why do I mention that? It's because the story of Exodus is about God, a father, who is fighting for his son, his firstborn Israel. He's fighting for his relationship with his firstborn son. And you can almost imagine that you've got Pharaoh, and he's got two firstborns in his clutches. He's got his own firstborn, and then he's got Israel, God's firstborn. And, and what he's doing is, is God is saying, look, Pharaoh, I'm serious. Give me back my firstborn. And he's like, nah, I'm good. I got my firstborn. Mwah. I've got your firstborn. <laughs> come and get him if you want. Yeah, come on. If you, I dare you. And, and that, was, that was Pharaoh's approach. And see, that's why in, in Exodus 
chapter four, this is even before God does a single plague, even before the first plague, Exodus chapter four, verse 22. This is what God says to Pharaoh through Moses. He says this, read it with me. He says, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn. Born son. See, what's going on is that even before a first plague happened, God was already warning Pharaoh, look, I'm serious. You don't let go of my firstborn son, something's going to happen to your son. You don't do what I'm asking, something's going to happen that you're going to regret. And, and Pharaoh's like, eh, I don't know about that. And with every plague that God brings, he does something. He's warning Pharaoh, I'm serious. I'm not joking, Pharaoh. Do I look like I'm joking? Look, those three days of darkness that I brought, that's not BC Hydro, that's me. You know, that that stuff with the hail coming down, you think that's just a coincidence? You know, the, the frogs in your bed, you think that that's just a joke? I'm not joking, Pharaoh. If you don't ante up and give me my son back, something's gonna happen to you that you will never recover from. And so this was God doing everything he can to rescue his son, Israel. And now because Pharaoh, you know, he just doesn't listen. He's hardening his heart. He, though he has a choice, he decides, nah, I'm good. It's all come to this, this 10th and final plague where God, after warning him one, two, three, four, 11 times about what's going to happen, finally, God is about to step up to the plate and do what he promised to do. And that's what we have with this 10th plague. Third consideration, when you think, oh, how could God do something like this? You got to understand this. All 10 plagues together were evidence of God's patience, of God's mercy, and God's desire to save not just the Israelites, but the Egyptians too. So you gotta understand this. God could have very easily wiped out all of Egypt with one single plague. He didn't need 10. He could do one and it would be enough. In fact, Exodus 9, 15 talks about that. Read it with me. God says here in verse 15, he says, for by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. And so the question is, why not? Why didn't God just use one single plague to strike down all the Egyptians? All of a sudden, all the Israelites are free and yeah, I've got my firstborn son back. Why not do that? Let me tell you why. It's because God was giving time for the Egyptians to repent. It's because God didn't just love the Israelites. He loves the Egyptians too. He loves the Egyptians so much that he would rather give them time to repent and do these gentler miracles that would hopefully convince some of them to turn to him than to wipe them out completely. You know, God knew that Pharaoh was hardened in his heart. He knew that Pharaoh was not gonna respond. But God also knew that not all of Egypt was like that. He didn't make those kind of generalizations. And he realized that, you know, there's some people in Egypt who are going to listen to this. And so he starts with really gentle plagues, you know, water into blood, you know, frogs, to the point where the Egyptians can do it as well. It's almost embarrassing to God that he would do these really gentle plagues that the Egyptians can do. But why? It's because he's starting off slow. He's turning up the heat just ever so slightly in the hopes that the softer hearted ones in Egypt would see and go, oh, no, you know, maybe, there, maybe this, this, is, this is real. Maybe there's something here. Maybe God, this God that the Hebrews worship, this Lord, maybe there's something here. Maybe this is legit. And, and the more he turns up the heat with plague after plague after plague, all of a sudden, these Egyptians are going, oh my goodness, this is no joke. And, and Pharaoh, I don't know what he's thinking, 
but this is no joke. And Egyptians, there are some Egyptians that actually start turning to God. How do I know that? It's because you look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, and what does it say? It says, many other people went up with them as well as large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. What is it saying? Is that on the night when Israel, when the Israelites were leaving Egypt, they weren't alone. You know what happened? Other people in Egypt were going with the Israelites too. Other foreign people from Egypt, other native Egyptians, they were going with Israel. Not all the Egyptians, of course, but some of them were going. It's as if they had seen all these plagues and their hearts started to soften and go, we got to humble ourselves. This, this God that the Hebrews worship is legit. He's the real thing. And these gods that we've been worshiping, I don't know why they're not helping. Obviously, they're not real. We got to follow this Lord that the Hebrews are, 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 are worshiping. And so they start going with them. I, and I, and I, I believe there's even a really good, a really good argument to make that, that some of these Egyptians, they turned to God early enough that they didn't see their firstborns die. Because let me tell you this, if I'm an Egyptian, I'm an Egyptian dad, I got an Egyptian son, he's my firstborn. If the God of the Hebrews killed my firstborn son, I don't think I'd go with the Hebrews out of Egypt. I think I'd prefer just to die where my son died. That's what I would do. But the fact that many other people flocked with the, with the Israelites out of Egypt shows that they had a faith in the Lord, a trust in the Lord that made them think there's something here. And that is the heart of God. God would rather be patient to save as many people as possible than wipe out everyone in one shot. Amen. That's why God is such a great God. And that's why it's also a reminder to us that the Lord is not just for one type of person. The Lord is not just for one nation. It's not just for one people group, one ethnicity, one language, one color. The, the, the Lord whom the God, of, the, the God of the Hebrews, he's also the God of every single nation. He's the God of every single color, race, ethnicity. Oh, come on, if I'm making sense of this place, give God a big, big hand here this place right now. Amen. That's the kingdom of God. It's a multiracial, multicolored, multi-ethnic kingdom. And that's why Thrive Church is not, if you might look on the stage and go, oh, so many Asians. Let me tell you this. Thrive Church is not an Asian church that happens to speak English and that happens to have other nationalities meeting with us. Let me tell you what Thrive Church is. Thrive Church is a multi-ethnic, multicolored, multiracial, multilingual, multinational family because that's what the kingdom of God is. Amen. Amen. And, and the fact is, if you see a lot of Asians, that's simply because of our context. Vancouver's got a lot of Asians. Tell me that. Yeah, for sure. You go to Richmond Center. Is Richmond Center an Asian mall? No. But are there a lot of Asians in Richmond Center? Yes. Why? Because Richmond and Vancouver has a lot of Asians. But that's the kingdom of God. It's multicolored. It's multi-ethnic. And we see that even in the story of Exodus. Now let's talk about the Passover. Because you can't really understand the death of the firstborn without understanding the Passover. And so let's read together right now, Exodus chapter 12, verses one to 13. And this is even before God goes ahead to send this plague that kills the firstborns in Egypt. Look at verse 12, verses one of Exodus 12 with me. Read it in a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. I tell you, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb 
lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their neighbor, nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat their land. Stop right there. See what's going on. See, God is about to send the Israelites out of Egypt. He's about to rescue them from there. And so he says, hey, what? Tonight is the first day of a brand new year for you. We're going to do a new calendar for you. And it begins on the day that I saved you. Hey, and by the way, if you're a Christian in this place, if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, how many of you know that when you trusted Jesus as your Savior on that day, when you opened up your heart to him or when you got baptized, that is a day worth celebrating. Amen? That's a new beginning. And so I encourage you, not just on that day, but you know, on the anniversary of that day, remember it, celebrate it in some way, have a party in some way, because that is worth celebrating. But one more thing that God tells them to do, he tells them to take a year-old male lamb and slaughter it. And he says to do something really weird. He says, take the blood of this lamb and paint the door frame of your house. And so I'm just going to imagine that we're an Israelite family and we've just slaughtered a lamb as per the Lord's instructions. And this is the blood of the lamb that I've got in this tin can right now. And we're just going to paint our house's door frame together. Is that okay? All right. So let me just do that on behalf of all of us right now. All right. And so we're going to take this really lovely white door and we're going to paint the blood of the lamb on it. You guys ready? Here we go. Here we go. I'm not a painter myself, but here we go. Look at this. Oh my goodness. Oh wow. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Okay. This is the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb. Look at that. All right. We're going to do that one side. Okay. We're going to do the top now. Let's see. Don't want to spill anything. Okay. Here we go. I wore a red shirt for a reason today, uh, just in case. Uh, here we go to the top. Okay. That's the blood of the lamb on the top. And then we're going to do the side, the right side here. This is the blood of the lamb on the side. Uh, you can tell that I'm not a painter here, but this is like Thrive Home Improvement here. This is great. And so we're going to paint the blood of the lamb. All right. That's great. That's good. And see what's going on is that we're taking a year old male and we're taking him slaughtering him and taking the blood and putting it on the door frame why why we're going to talk about that in just a minute but not only are we going to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the door frame we're going to do one more thing we're going to eat the lamb all right how are we going to eat the lamb check it out with me verse 8 it says that same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Roast lamb. I, my, my wife loves roast lamb. So it's roast, roasted over a fire, but with bitter herbs. So it's kind of bitter. And look at verse 9. Just to be safe, in case you were kind of, oh, do I have to roast it? Look at verse 9. What does it say? It says, do not eat the meat raw, i.e., no sheep sashimi, all right? And then, or cooked in water, i.e., no lamb hot pot, right? But roast it over a fire, head, legs, and inner parts. I remember when I first moved to Taiwan, I just was really grossed up with the fact that the, the people who I live with have no problems eating intestines and, you know, liver and, and all that stuff. Uh, and, and if you have a problem with that, look at verse 10. It says, do not leave any of it till morning. In other words, you're supposed to eat all of it. But if you can't eat all of it, if some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. That's probably what some of you would do. You just burn it. 11, verse 11 says, this is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And on that same night, verse 12, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, 
I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And see, this is called the Passover feast. And if we're just to focus not on the blood on the door, but just what you're supposed to eat. You know, it's a Passover feast, but does this feel like a feast to you? Like, so, so, picture this. Like, to me, this is not really a party. Like, when was the last time you went to a house party at a friend's house? And I know it's COVID-19, so it's probably been a really long time since you visited a friend's house. But even before COVID-19, when was the last time you went to your friend's house and you were expecting this really awesome party? Fun, relaxing, good friends, good food, good drink. You're thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome. When was the last time you went there and then all of a sudden you walk into your friend's house and you're about to take off your jacket and say, oh, no, no, hey. Leave that on. Leave that coat on, man. I'm not taking your jacket for you. He's like, oh, okay. Uh, and you start taking off your shoes. Hey, 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 no. Don't take off your shoes, all right? Don't, don't make yourself at home. Just, just, just keep your shoes on, all right? And, and, and you're like, okay, I'm putting down my purse. Hey, 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 no, no. Take your purse back. Keep your staff in your hand if you had a staff. And you're like, what? what what's going on? Uh, let me just give you the food, and then you can go. What? Okay, okay. And he, and he gives you a plate with, with bitter lamb. And you, you got some, some bread without yeast. And you're like, what's this? And he's like, that's your food. You got one minute to eat it, and then you have to go. You're like, are you serious? What kind of party is this? Can I have my gift back, please? Can I have got my wine that I gave you back, please? I'm leaving. And, and see, what's going on? Is it because God doesn't know how to have fun? No, no, that has nothing to do with it at all. It's because this kind of party was not this loungy, super relaxed party. This was the kind of party you have, the kind of meal that you have when you're about to go on a trip with your family and you're going to be away for a long, long time. You know that meal. That's the meal where mom looks in the fridge and goes, okay, how much of this can I feed my, 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 my family right now so it doesn't go moldy? And so you just try to clear the whole fridge of everything. And at the same time, you're packing. Everyone's busy. You're packing everything in the car. You're sitting in the car. Mom gives you Ziploc bags with you know, lamb in it and you're eating that way. That's the kind of meal that they're having right now. It's because God was getting ready to bring his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt and out of slavery for good. That's what's going on. Amen. Amen. So that's why they're eating in haste. That's why they have to be quick with what they're doing and see what's going on here. God is getting ready to bring his people out just like he promised. And see, not just that. Look at Exodus 12, 14 and 15 with me. Read it with a big loud voice. What does it say? It says, this is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you're to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. So you're going to clean your house of all the yeast and that's actually even a tradition today among some Jews. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day to the seventh must be cut off from Israel. See, what's going on here? This is called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. I've got some unleavened bread right here. I got it from Save on Foods, actually. There's a Passover section at Save on Foods. Uh, and I got it. So, you know, this is like a, a box of about 10. And this is unleavened bread. And it's basically bread made without yeast. It's very, very thin. I, I shared some with our recording team. And people generally thought, oh, yeah, it's like a cracker. It's like a cracker. It's kind of dry. Right? This one is egg-flavored, so it's supposed to taste better than kind of, I guess, plain vanilla, um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, unleavened bread. Uh, this is called matzo, made in Israel. And see, what God tells the Israelites is for seven days, starting from the Passover, I want you to eat this, and it's going to be bread without yeast. Why? Why, why eat bread without yeast? Is that bread without yeast was for two reasons. The first is this, is that practically speaking, they need to leave. They don't have time to wait for the bread to rise. And so bread without yeast is a lot quicker to make. It's a very practical reason, eat bread without yeast. But there's a second reason why you need to eat bread without yeast. It's because God was using yeast as a picture for sin. 
Why East? Is there something wrong with yeast? No, there's not kind of, don't, go, don't leave this place, leave this service thinking, oh, from now on I can't eat yeast, I can't eat bread from Cobb's bread anymore, I can't you know, buy like a Subway anymore, because, no, 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 it's not about that. See, see this, is the, this is the thing, is that God is using yeast just as a picture for sin. The idea that just like you know, yeast is this very small ingredient, but you put it into a batch of dough and it works all throughout the dough, sin is like that as well. Is that sin seems like this really small thing, but the moment it enters our lives, it kind of works through and kind of starts to, starts, starts, starts to affect everything. And, and that's, that's why God uses yeast as a picture for sin. Does that mean that yeast, there's something wrong with yeast itself? No. You know, in fact, Jesus, he would talk about yeast in different ways. He'd use it in a negative way. He'd say, beware the yeast of the Pharisees, which means beware their hypocrisy. Don't let it spread to you. In other cases, he says, you know, that the, that the kingdom of God is like yeast that you take and you put it into a batch of dough and then it continues to work through the whole dough. It's this idea that like yeast, the kingdom of God starts small, but then as you give it more room, it grows in your life like it is doing with many of you today. And see, the, the fact that they're using yeast, what's the lesson there? Is that when the Israelites would eat this unleavened bread, they're sitting in their homes, standing in their homes, eating this bread with, without yeast, covered by the blood of the lamb on their doorframe. The lesson is, because of the blood of the lamb, because God sacrificed for our sins, we are now free of our sins. We are no longer slaves to sin. When God sees us, we are forgiven. Amen. Amen. You know, centuries later, centuries later, Jesus Christ, on the night that he's going to be betrayed, it is actually Passover night. The night when all this we're talking about happens, when you sacrifice a Passover lamb. On Passover night, Jesus is in the upper room with his 12 disciples, and they're having what's called the Last Supper. And Jesus, he takes unleavened bread. He breaks it. He says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that I am the unleavened bread. I am the one who is without sin, and I'm giving my life for you. And the feast of the unleavened bread is actually the feast of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the unleavened bread of life. Amen. Amen. And so don't you love how the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, points us to what Jesus Christ would do. Whenever you read the Old Testament, you want to read it with the lens of the New Testament, seeing how does this teach us about Jesus, because this is a huge, amazing picture of what Jesus Christ would do. If you believe that, say amen. Turn to your neighbor online in your chat rooms and say, Jesus is my unleavened bread. Tell them that right now. Jesus is my unleavened bread. Is, are you learning something today? Let me tell you this, this is too much to pass over, amen. You, this is way too much to pass over, so make sure you're getting this. Jesus is our real unleavened bread, but he's not just the real unleavened bread. Jesus is also our Passover lamb. Look at Exodus 12, 21 to 23 with me right now. What does it say? It says, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. Dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes to the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike 
you down. What's the destroyer, by the way? Do you, do you get that? The that sounds like a wrestler name. You know, ladies and gentlemen, from Minnesota, the destroyer. You know, that, that sounds like a wrestler. I don't know if the wrestler was, or the, the destroyer was, you know, like some kind of, you know, muscular guy with an Austrian accent, leather jacket, sunglasses. He, he, he's going around with a big gun. He looks at, he looks at, you know, any door with no blood. He's like, I'll be back. You know, and he looks at a door without, with, with blood. He's like, I won't be back. And I, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if the destroyer was a disease. I don't know if the destroyer was a drone. Some scholars say it's the angel of the Lord. We don't know exactly, but we do know the result. And what's the result? Look for verse 28. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, i.e., they celebrated the Passover. And at midnight, verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. You might be thinking as I'm thinking, oh man, poor families, poor kids. And that, you're absolutely right to think that. But you want to keep something in mind, is that those children ultimately belong to God. God loves children far more than even the children's parents do. And when God did this, I can guarantee you that God made sure that they are safe in God's hands now because life is not just about the 70, 80 years that we have. It's about eternity. And, you know, maybe you're here and maybe you lost someone recently that you love and you almost kind of resent God and go, God, how could you take them away so soon? You know, I'm so sorry for your pain if you're in that situation right now. There are no easy answers to some of the questions you might be asking or some of the things you might be feeling right now. But can I tell you this? There is hope in Jesus Christ. That because of Jesus Christ, we have this hope that if it's a baby or a child, that baby or child is in heaven today. That if it's someone who placed their hope in Jesus, that we have a secure hope that your loved one is happier, healthier, safer, more secure than he could or she could ever be on this earth. And as a result, we can be assured that when we go to heaven, we're going to see that person again. And see, that's the hope that we have. And if you're lost, you lost someone, you're not sure if they place their hope in Jesus, we just believe that God is fair. He is just in his ways. But let's talk about the blood. See, why paint blood on the doorframe? What, what, what's up with that? See, what's so significant about the blood? Do you know that in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In other words, forgiveness in God's eyes is never cheap. It's free, but it's not cheap. It's free, but it's expensive because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And when the Israelites painted the blood of the lamb on their door frames, what they were saying is when it comes to God's wrath against sin, I'm not going to trust in my own goodness to overcome that. I'm not going to trust in my own morality to overcome that. I'm not going to trust in the good things I've done to overcome that, to save me. Instead, I'm trusting in what God provided. I'm trusting in the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb who was without defect and who was sacrificed for my sins. And my question for you today is, how about you? That's what the Israelites did. How about you? Is that when you stand before God and God asks you, on what basis should I let you into heaven? Would you say, and a lot of us do this, is, oh, well, and you start to give this resume to God as if you could earn and win his favor and impress him and said so that he goes, oh, you're such a good person. Like, so for example, like, we might say stuff like, you know, you would go behind our door and go, ah, uh, well, uh, you know, the reason why I should go to heaven is because I'm a good person. 
I'm a, you know, I'm a decent person. I'm a decent guy. You know, you know look how many friends on Facebook I've got. You know, uh, you know, I, uh, here, here's another one. I, I recycle. You know, I, 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 you know, I take my bottles and I put them outside to recycle. Doesn't that, that, that counts for something, right? Or, or how about this? I, I, I volunteer. I, I give to charity. And, and you know, I, I, I try to help people from time to time. You know, this is how much money I gave to charity last year. And, and we, we put all these, you know, resume items in front of God and think, thinking that we can impress God. As if God is impressed by all the stuff that we do. And on the basis of our own merit, we can get into heaven. Let me tell you this, if you're thinking that today. If you think that you can get into heaven by your own merit, you've got another thing coming to you because one or two things are happening to you. One, your view of God is way too small. And number two, your view of yourself is, I'm sorry to say it, way too big. Because the Bible says there is no way we could reach God on our own. God is perfect, we're not. God is holy, i.e. no sin at all, we are not. In fact, the Bible says God is so holy that sin cannot stand in the presence of God. If there's any sin in anything, God's wrath, just by nature of being a just God, will come out and cause that thing to perish. And so when people say stuff like, oh, yo, why doesn't God do anything about evil right now? They don't really know what they're asking. Because if God was to do something about evil and get rid of evil, it means he has to get rid of you and me. Because sometimes the biggest messes we find are not the things around us, it's in us. It's the evil in us. It's the sin in us. And as much as we're made in the image of God, as much as God loves us, the fact is that every single one of us has sin that separates us from God. Sin is that tendency in us to want to do things our way and not God's way. And as a result, we're separated from God. We create hurt for ourselves, hurt for our family, hurt for people around us because of sin. And the Bible says that because of sin, we have a consequence, which is we cannot have anything to do with God, not now, not later, not forever. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death where we can't have anything to do with God. Almost like we're knocking on heaven's door and we, I don't, I don't want to make this fall, fall over here. Knocking on heaven's door and we can't get in because it doesn't matter how good I am. It doesn't matter how much I recycle. It doesn't matter how much I volunteer and give to charity. These things don't matter because at the end of the day, there's no way that I could get in front of God and get into heaven on my own merit because it's not about how good I am. It's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus Christ has done for me. Amen. And see, let me tell you this. That's why the blood of the lamb is so important because whereas the Bible says the wages of sin is death, the Bible also says the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, when we had no way of reaching God, when we were destined for a life and an existence without God forever, because God didn't want to be apart from us, because God didn't want to lose us, because God would rather die than be without us, he sent Jesus Christ to live the life that only the life of us, a, a, a son of God, the life of God in the flesh could live. And not only did he do that, but he also died on the cross to pay for every sin. He shed his blood like a Passover lamb so that we could be forgiven. Oh, could you give God a big, big hand here this place together right now? Amen. And not only did he die on the cross for our sins, but the Bible says on the third day, to show that Jesus is not just some founder of another religion, just someone who made a bunch of claims that you can't verify, to show that he is who he claims to be, the Son of God. Jesus Christ rose again from the grave. 
to show that our two biggest problems in life, sin and death, are conquered in Jesus' name. And if your biggest problem, if sin Jesus conquered at the cross, if death Jesus conquered at the resurrection, how will he not help you conquer whatever problem is in your way today because Jesus Christ is greater. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Come on, there's more in you than that. Shout to God in this place today. Amen. What's the lesson here? The lesson is this. When you put your hope in God, when you put your hope not in what you do, but what God has done in, for you through Jesus Christ, what does God do? He sees the blood. He sees the blood of Jesus on your life, and he passes over. He passes over. No longer is it, oh, look at me and how good I am. And then, no, no, it's not based on that. Simply because I say, I realize I'm not perfect. I realize I'm a sinner who needs a savior. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Passover lamb who shed his blood for me. I receive that blood. I receive that gift of your forgiveness today. Jesus is our Passover lamb. And when you have Jesus in your life, when he's covering you, God sees the blood of Jesus on your life and he passes over. It's too much to pass over, you might think. Well, you know what, I've got so much stuff in my life, so many, so many mistakes I've made. You know, so much stuff that you don't even know about, JB. You have no idea the stuff I've done. Let me tell you this. You know, all the, the stuff I've done, it's too much to pass over. My past, it's too much to pass over. Let me tell you this right now. Is that there's a song that I, I used to sing, and I still remember it, even though it was 20 years ago. And it goes like this. It goes, uh, I'll just tell you one part of it. It goes, nothing that you do could make him love you more. And nothing that you've done could make him close the door. Because of his great love, he gave his only son. Everything was done so you would come. What does it say? Nothing you could do could make God love you more. God loves you simply because he loves you, not because of your performance, not because of how good you think you are or good you try to be. God simply loves you because you're his child. He loves you. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. And also, nothing that you've done could cause him to close the door on you. It's never too much to pass over because God loves you with an everlasting love. God loves you with an unconditional love. God loves you with a love that is so much greater than any mistake you could ever make. And as a result, you can have hope for tomorrow. You know, today we've been talking about the Passover and how if you have the Passover in your mind, you have a window of hope into whatever it is you're going through right now. Let me end today by talking about three truths to remember from the Passover. Because the Passover, one of the big things that God says to the Israelites over and over is, is, is remember this, do this, not just once, but over and over every year. It's about remembering. What are some things, some truths we can remember as we end today? Three truths to remember from the Passover. Truth number one, remember that God loves you like his own firstborn. God loves you like his own firstborn. What does that mean? So remember that in Israelite culture, the firstborn had special significance, had special authority, had special responsibility, had special status, special favor, a double portion. And guess what? Jesus, he's called the firstborn among all creation, over all creation. That's Colossians 1.15. Is that, is that Jesus, he's, it's not that he was created but over all creation, he is supreme. He's the firstborn over all creation. In the same chapter of Colossians, chapter one, is that God also say, or God's word also says, Jesus, he is the firstborn from among the dead. Firstborn, again. 
And it's this idea that he was the first to die and rise again and never die again. And because Jesus Christ is the firstborn over all creation, because Jesus Christ is the firstborn from among the dead, do you know what? Because of that, we have something very, very special to thank Jesus for. Because you know what Jesus did? At the cross, Jesus took his status as the firstborn over all creation, as the firstborn from among the dead. And he gave us that status. He took our sin and our status as sinners. And he gave us the status of a firstborn when he died on the cross for our sins. And he rose from the grave again for us. And see, what that means is if you've got Jesus in your life, you have the status of someone who's got firstborn favor in front of God. Amen. Is that God looks at you not as some, you know, ordinary, common child, but you are seen as his firstborn. Amen. Would you turn to your neighbor on the online chat room? Could you tell them right now, I'm God's favorite. <laughs> I'm God's favorite. I'm God's favorite. You know, and, and, and there, there's some, we're joking, but there's some truth to that, is that you are loved with a firstborn favor because that's how God loves you. Regardless of whether you're a middle child, a baby in the family, the oldest, God loves you with firstborn favor. Number two, second truth remember from the Passover is remember that out of God's incredible love for you and me, he sent Jesus Christ to be our unleavened bread and our Passover lamb. Is that when we were in need of a savior, God sent that savior in the form of Jesus Christ's son. And that's why it's only through the blood of Jesus that we're saved. It's not because of all the good things that I do and all the good things that I think I am because I can't reach God on my own. I can't reach my own standards, let alone God's standards. But because God loves us, he sent Jesus Christ for us. And now we've got a Passover lamb by whose blood we can be saved, we can be forgiven. Finally, number three, third truth to remember from the Passover is that you wanna to remember to pass this message over to others. Last verse for today, it's from Exodus chapter 12, verse 24. Could you read it with me? It says, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does a ceremony mean? then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. See, why is it that God tells the Israelites to celebrate the Passover over and over, year after year, not just on that day when they went out of Egypt. Why year after year? It's because it's too much to pass over. It's because when God rescued the Israelites from slavery, it's not just something he wanted his people who were rescued at that time to know. He wanted his children to know it. He wanted their children to know it. He wanted their children's children to know it. It's because it's too good to pass over. It's too much to pass over. And in the same way today, I got to tell you, in this COVID-19 season, when people are stressed, people are looking for hope, people are looking for peace. Let me tell you, there is no greater peace than the peace of knowing that Jesus Christ has died on the cross and paid for all of our sins, all of our mistakes. There's no greater hope than knowing that Jesus Christ rose again from the grave and that with him we have a hope that is stronger than death itself. See, here's a question for you today. Maybe you're in need of that hope, but maybe there's someone else in your life that is in need of that hope. Who is someone that you can share this hope with, someone you can pass this message over to. What does it mean to pass over this message? Maybe it's as simple as invite that friend to church next week. Maybe pass over that message means to just check in and say, hey, how's it going? Haven't talked in a while. Just like, just checking out how's life? How can I pray for you? You know, maybe it's about, you know, reaching out to that person that you don't normally reach out to. 
And here's the thing, is that when we would pass that message on to others, we do something is that hope starts to happen in their heart. Hope starts to hope happen in our heart. And so I want to consider this with you today, is that the Passover is not simply this ancient meal from 3,500 years ago. It's not just this cool event from 3,500 years ago, but the Passover is the greatest picture you find in the Old Testament of what God can do for us today. That because God loved us, he sent us a savior so that we don't have to put our trust in what we do. We can place our trust and our hope in what Jesus Christ has done for us, our Passover lamb, our unleavened bread. And because of Jesus, we are forgiven of our sins. We are set free from slavery to the stuff that enslaved us. We are spared from the wrath of God. And because of Jesus, we've got hope for a brand new beginning. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand here this place together right now. That's it. Oh, come on, there's more in you than that. Give God all of your praise in this place today. He's worthy of it all. Today, I don't just want to give you a message to inform you, but we really believe that God's word is too much to pass over, that it's here to transform our lives. And if you're here and you're listening to this message and you realize that you need God's forgiveness for stuff in your past, I wanna lead you in a prayer to receive God's forgiveness. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, don't worry about your neighbor, it doesn't concern them right now. But if you realize that you need God's forgiveness for sin, maybe something that happened today or last night or maybe a whole history of stuff in your life, I'm here to tell you there's nothing you could do that could make God love you more. And there's nothing that you've done that could make God close a door. And so if you realize today that you need God's forgiveness, it's as simple as praying a prayer to ask him through Jesus Christ for that forgiveness. And so if you realize you need that today, if you need God's forgiveness, why don't you just lift up your hand to God today? He loves you. Just lift up your hand to God as just an expression of your sincerity. Lift it high to heaven today. And why don't you just pray this prayer with me and just say this in your own heart and say it out loud if you want. You can just say this and say, Dear Jesus, thank you for being my Passover lamb, my unleavened bread, how you died on the cross to pay for my sins, how you rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please come in, forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You know, the Bible says that if you prayed that prayer and you meant that from your heart, then guess what? You are forgiven of your sins. You are a child of God. You are a citizen of heaven. And no one could ever take that away from you. And we believe because Jesus Christ died and rose again, the best is yet to come. And so a big congratulations to every single person who made that decision today. By the way, you might see a little icon there. It says, raise your hand. If you raise your hand to pray that prayer just now, if you prayed that prayer from your heart and you meant that, why don't you just touch that button right now? Raise your hand. And we'd just love to give you a gift just to congratulate you and just encourage you. And you know, maybe you don't see that button. You can just type you know, the word believe to 604-285-5770. And we just have a, a little message, a little gift that we want to encourage you with that I think you're going to enjoy. Congratulations. So amazing to have you here today. Let's give God a big hand for an amazing time together today. Believe the best is yet to come. Praise God. He is our amazing Savior. And so as we get ready to do communion together, I'm going to invite Alice to come up. She's going to lead us in a song. Let's give God our very best as we give him worship and praise from our heart today. Let's do that together right now.
Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. 
One more time. Can we give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together, wherever you're watching this service, wherever you are in your car, in your room, just give God a big shout in this place together right now. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Right now, we're going to do something very, very special. And it's just crazy that we're talking about Passover today because today is also Communion Sunday. It's when we remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And basically communion, what we're about to do right now, is basically our Passover meal. It's how we remember how Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so we could be forgiven. And so right now, just like we talked about earlier today, is that if you have your bread, it's time to grab that. You know, here's my unleavened bread. Isn't, you know, in your case, it might be a cracker, maybe a cookie, maybe a normal piece of bread, either the, like, whatever, whatever you got there, why don't you just take that right now and we're gonna do this together right now, is that you might have a piece of bread and uh, you might have uh, you know, a, a cup that represents the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Maybe it's water, maybe it's 7-Up, maybe it's milk, uh, maybe it's grape juice. But we're just going to do this together in special remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so on the night that Jesus betrayed, he took bread, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup. He said, this cup is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of many people's sins. Drink this in remembrance of me, in thankful remembrance and with an attitude of gratitude. Let's remember what Jesus Christ has done for us today. Let's take communion together right now. You can dip the bread into the cup if you'd like, and uh, you can just take the bread right now. Let's do this together with an attitude of gratitude today. And even as you're digesting that bread, why don't you just take a moment just to say a prayer for someone that you can pass this message over to. Maybe someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus yet, never, never heard that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, or maybe never understood it. Would you just take a moment right now just to pray for them, just where you, wherever you are right now, just in your own heart, just start praying for them right now. Pray that God would use you to be a channel of his love to that person. Pray that God would use you to, to speak life into that person, to be someone who can show them hope in hard times because God loves that person. Jesus died for that person. We'll just take a moment just to pray for that person right now. Pray that you'd have the courage to do something, maybe to invite them to church next week, maybe it's to reach out to them in some kind of way. Why don't you just pray for that person right now? Maybe it's a relative, maybe it's someone in your own home, maybe it's someone in your workplace, maybe it's someone at school, maybe it's a neighbor. Let's do that right now. Just pray for them. Maybe it's more than one person. Just pray for them right now. Pray for them right now. Pray for them right now. I want you to lift your hands to God as we do that as well. Just lift your hands to God. With your hands lifted high, let the height of your hands reflect your praise. Let the height of your hands reflect your worship. Let the height of your hands reflect an attitude of gratitude. Let the height of your hands reflecting you, just surrendering to God whatever issue on your heart, an issue in your life that you don't have a solution for, you can give that to God right now. Just start giving God praise. Start giving God thanks. Start worshiping God from your heart. Don't worry about your neighbor. Don't worry about whatever else is going on. You just start talking to God right now from your heart. Give him your praise. Give him your worship. Give him your burdens. Give him your cares. Give him everything today because he loves you. He's here right now. He's listening. He's with you. He's for you. So just start talking to God right now. Just from your heart. Just from your heart. Just start talking to God. Give him everything today. Give him everything today. Every concern, every burden, everything because he loves you. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. He rose again. He's here. He's loving you right now. He's with you right now. He's listening right now. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much 
for Jesus Christ, your son, who came as our unleavened bread and as our Passover lamb so that we could have forgiveness for our sins, so we could have hope for tomorrow. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for us. Because you died and you rose again, we can say the best is yet to come. And so, we, God, we pray for every single person here who's watching the service today. God, that your blessing, your presence, your power, your protection, your peace, your joy, wisdom, strength, and your Holy Spirit would fill each and every person here until we next meet again. Thank you, Jesus, that you've called them, to, you've made them to be alive and to worship Jesus, to be expectant to grow more like Jesus, to be involved and to serve Jesus with their talents, to be out loud to lead others to Jesus, to be united and to love this family you started called your church. And with that great calling in mind that we give you worship and we give you praise. Thank you, God, that with Jesus Christ, all things are possible and the best is yet to come. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? Let's thank God for an amazing time together. Right now, as we close off our service, just a couple things we're going to do. First off, if you call Throb Church your home church or you just believe in the work that God is doing here, let's give our faithful tithes, our generous offerings, knowing that when we seek God's kingdom first, He adds what? He adds everything we need. And not only does He add everything we need, but He also builds His church through us. So let's sow into God's kingdom today, believing that when we do, that God's going to use it to bless many, many people and to change a big part of our world. And so let's do that. You can go to mythrive.info to give online. Please do that. Thank you so much for giving. And at the same time, we're going to hand the time off to Raul, our online host, to close us off today. We love you guys. You are a beautiful church inside and out. Have an amazing week, everybody. God is with you, and the best is yet to come. Have a great week, everybody. Love you guys. Take care. All right. Thank you, Pastor JB. What a powerful message. If you're blessed by today's message, then let us know in the chat or send us a private message. Either way, we would love to hear from you. Now, before I let you go, I do have a few short announcements. If this is your first time visiting us here at Thrive Church Online, then you are our VIP. As our VIP, we would love to hear from you. Text NEW to 604-285-5770, and we'll be sending you a Thrive water bottle just for visiting us today. And for those of you who made the decision to receive Jesus into your life, congratulations. High five! Text BELIEVE to 604-285-5770 as we have prepared a very special gift pack series with helpful resources such as videos to help answer some questions you may be having on your new life with Jesus. Now, Mother's Day is Sunday, May 10th, and if you're wondering on how to begin to celebrate your mom that day, look no further than joining us here online as we celebrate Mother's Day together. So, moms out there, don't forget, join us so we can share how much we love you and are blessed by you for all that you do in our lives. We love you. Join us. Speaking of joining, have you joined a small group yet? No, not a problem. Sign up for one at MyThrive.info. It's the best way to stay connected during the COVID season with people that are encouraging, supportive, and are just right there for you. So don't forget, sign up at MyThrive.info. And we especially want to welcome you back next week as we continue our message series called Exodus Hope for Hard Times. That's it for the announcements this week, guys. Thank you for stopping by here at Thrive Church Online been a pleasure and don't forget to give your tithes and offerings. My name is Raul. I was your online host today. We'll see you back next week here at Thrive Church Online. See ya.